Aren't you thankful that the debt has been paid? If we're willing to accept that gift of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, and that debt is paid. Let's begin our, our service with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're reminded of the debt that we owe you. Lord, when we think about the wrath that you pour out on mankind, we understand it. It deepens our appreciation of the grace that you gave to us and the love that you showed towards us by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that we would, that we would study about your wrath in light of your mercy and grace, too. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 8. We're uh, back into the study of the 11th hour here and in uh, the book of Revelation. And just to kind of catch up where we're at at this point, remember there are seven seals in the scroll of God's wrath. And af af after every seal is open, we, we learn more about how God's wrath is one day going to be uh, revealed against, uh, against mankind. And we've already studied six of those seals up to this point. And and, uh, and, and then we found, found out a couple weeks ago that the seventh seal actually becomes seven trumpets. So just about the moment when they think that it's almost over, the seventh seal, they open it up and realize now there are seven trumpets of God's wrath that are about to be poured out uh, on mankind. And, and so things get worse at this point. You might remember how it was broken up because we're going to find some interesting things as we're going to study the seven trumpets starting now. Uh, some interesting things of how this is broken up. You'll, you'll remember that the first four of the seals were kind of grouped together. They were called the four, you remember the four horsemen, very good. And so you had the four horsemen. Then the fifth and sixth one were grouped together and, and that was the cry of the martyrs and then you have all the cosmic disturbances that were, that were going on and then you find that that seventh one was separate in the sense that that one was expanded into something uh, greater because it becomes the seven trumpets. What we're going to find as we study the trumpets that is broken, broken up in a similar way. The first four are also going to be grouped together and we're gonna, going to see uh, the, how, how uh, the, the, the God's wrath will strike four different realms. We'll be talking about that. Then we're going to see how the fifth and sixth ones are grouped together and and uh, the, when we study the, the locusts and the 200 million man army, and we'll talk through some of that, and then we'll find that the seventh one is in its own category as well, uh, and it is expanded as that becomes seven bowls of God's wrath. You get the feeling that, that, that the depth of God's wrath that's being poured out on mankind in the, end, in the end days, and that's what we find here. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the first four trumpets, and uh, that's where we'll be traveling through today. But before we do, a couple of things I think it's important to remember. Um, first, before we, before we get into these, one is, is we have to be very careful to avoid the temptation to over-interpret some of what we're about to read. I remember week one, when we started uh, the book of Revelation, we talked about how there's some symbolic things going on in the book of Revelation. We have to be very careful not to over-interpret it. This is, this is that day that we were talking about when we're, we're coming into that where it, it can be very easy to, to, uh, to misunderstand some of the symbolism. And, and sometimes it's very difficult to understand where, where, where symbolism drops off and literal interpretation comes in. And, and that's okay. That's okay to have some of that because what we have here is a, there's a, a sense of mystery 
And we don't want to lose that sense of mystery. See, if we overinterpret things, we can, we can come we get things so specific here that we'll get to a point where if it's any different than what we imagine, then, then you don't recognize it when it happens, right? But what we find here is that there's some symbolism going on, <clears throat> and it's okay to use the word maybe when it comes to prophecy. Like, this might be that. This might be that. It's not okay to use maybe if you're asking, well, maybe this will happen or maybe it won't. It's going to happen. Make sense? Are we on the same page there? With that in mind, let's hop into these four tr first trumpets and uh, let's, let's uh, see how God's going to reveal his wrath through the, through the trumpets. Verse 7 of chapter 8 is where we'll start. You read this. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. Now you'll remember that when it talks about the first angel here, there were the seven archangels that are in the throne room of God, and each were given a trumpet. And so each of them were going to blow a trumpet, and then that would release God's wrath on the earth. This was the first of those angels. And, and he, he, he blows it, and what we find is, is hail and, and fire followed, and, and they were thrown to the earth, that concept of being thrown to the earth. What we're going to find here, too, is that each of these trumpets will follow the imagery of being thrown to the earth. And almost gives us this idea of, of like a, this picture of a, a meteor shower, right? And you look at this and say, hail and fire um, were thrown to the earth. Doesn't, isn't that the first thing that comes to your mind, like a meteor shower? And then as you read the descriptions of the second, the second trumpet and third trumpet and fourth trumpet, you get the same imagery like they're being thrown to the earth. Now, whether or not that's literal, or is it going to be a literal meteor shower or something like that, uh, we don't know for certain. Um, because when we, when we read in verses 1 through 6 in the introduction, the idea, what we, what we just read last week, was that the prayer of all the persecuted saints were being collected in the censer at the altar of incense. And that you get this image that the, that the angel was, was whirling this and just hurling it down on the earth. So I think the imagery is showing us that, that regardless of, what, of how these things take place, from the heavenly perspective, we understand that the source of all of this is the wrath of God. All of this is coming from heaven to earth. Whether or not in a literal way, it could be that some of these things happen on the earth. And, and from a, a human perspective, we don't know exactly what the cause is. Make no mistake, from the heavenly perspective, we know that the cause of all of this is God. Does that make sense? And so we see that imagery in all of these, this idea of being thrown to the earth. And what's being thrown changes from, from trumpet to trumpet, uh, um, but, but only slightly. What we really see is what's being struck becomes the distinguishing factor in each of these trumpets. So the first trumpet, what we find is that the, the land is what's being struck. The land is struck. Hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. The word there for earth is the same word for land. A third of the trees were burned up, and all of the grass was burned up. And so, uh, so we get this idea that God is casting something to the earth, and it looks like hail and fire, possibly a meteorite, being thrown to the earth. Now, there's a couple results of this that we find in here. Number one, we find that a third of the trees are burned up. Now, that 
that may not sound like a lot in a, if, in, until you stop and actually think about it. A third of the trees are burned up. What, what do trees do for us? They create oxygen, right? I mean, they're pretty, and they, and they give us wood, right? That's great, but they give us oxygen as well. And even though it's one of those gifts of God that we don't think about too much, but every time you breathe, you're borrowing air that doesn't belong to you. It's a gift from God to you, right? And, and, and the, the trees, a third of the trees, that would decrease oxygen. By the way, the, the trees not only give us oxygen, they clean the air. I mean, let's face it, we pollute the world. And the trees got it created to give us clean air as well. Um, we, in some of, the, some of the manuscripts as well says that a third of the earth was burned up in some of the older manuscripts. I think it's implied at least by the fact that a third of the trees were struck because trees are on land, right? They're on the earth. You also have the green grass. It doesn't say all grass, but all of the good grass, all of the green grass is burned up. I say that because later on in chapter 9, we will read that there is grass that exists. And it's not a contradiction because in, here in chapter 8 it says the green grass was burned up. And, um, and so that will not affect my yard, but it would definitely affect many of your yards. <laughs> so just say it. Um, but uh, but what, do you, what you find is all of the plant life, this vegetation and all the plants that are on, on, the, on the land, they're going to get struck and it's gonna de- they're going to decrease their ability to do what they do. And a third of the trees, a third of the, of, of the trees on the planet, and the grass, that would make a major difference in how things go. By the way, that would make a difference in food for us as well. And once you start, uh, in fact, that, that becomes food for the, the animals that become my food. I am not a vegetarian. I do like vegetables. But no matter what you eat, it's, it would affect the way you live the way you live your life. And that's trumpet number one. That's it. Let's look at trumpet number two. Let's continue to read in verses eight and nine. We read this. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So whereas in the first trumpet, the land is what struck, the, what's, what's struck in the second trumpet is, are the seas. The seas are struck. And again, we get this imagery that could be comparable to uh, a meteor because it's called a mountain burning with fire, which that alone we would probably call what? A volcano, right? That's what I would call it. Um, we used to live at the foot of a volcano and... And, uh, and, and we lived, I think it was less than 15 miles from a, an active volcano. And we'd see the smoke uh, uh, going in, in, uh, when we lived in Costa Rica. And, and so I, I, would, I would say it sounds like a volcano, but again, it's being hurled uh, to the earth is, is the idea. Uh, what, are the, what are the results of this? We find that a third of the sea is turned to blood. Now, this is probably not literal blood in the sense of, of actual liquid that was inside the bodies of things, because if you were to take every living creature and empty, um, empty all of the blood out, uh, it probably wouldn't be enough to, co- to fill a third of the seas. But I am told, as I was uh, studying uh, for this week, I, that 
the contents of salt water in the ocean isn't really isn't that much different between that and, and blood itself, if mainly missing just some oxidized minerals and so on. And so I do get the idea that something is going to happen to the seas and that's and going to make it turn red like the color of, of blood, right? We, this would be consistent with uh, the use of the word blood in reference to the moon. We don't believe the moon actually turns to blood, but we do believe that the moon turns blood red. And, uh, and so we're going to see that happen here. So a, a third of the sea is going to be turning to the, to the color of blood. We also find that a third of the sea creatures will die. Now, think about that for a moment. If things on the land aren't going so well, and all of a sudden you're losing all of your plants and your vegetation and, and your grass, and all of, you're losing all of that, now you have less food to feed the animals that that you raise, and that's less food for us. There's going to be a food shortage on land, right? So where would you go by nature? To the seas. You'd start fishing, right? I used to hate fish when I was a kid, probably because of Fish Fridays at school. It wasn't really fish. It was on a stick. You know, I mean, there was fish involved, but it wasn't wasn't the same thing. And then I went to to Alaska, and... uh, and they said, be, be warned, they eat a lot of fish there. Day one, they said, we're going to have fish. I'm like, oh boy, it's starting already, you know. And it was good. It was really good. And I'm, this isn't what they served at high, in, in elementary school on Fish Friday. Right. So, you, so we would leave, I mean, we were going to have to go to the seas to try and get food, right? And all of a sudden we find that a third of all of the creatures in the sea, gone. Now there's going to be a shortage of sea creatures as well. Things just keep getting worse. Not only that, a third of the ships are destroyed. Can you imagine what that alone would do to our economy? A third of the ships. And you know those ships are going to be important because those ships are going to be out there bringing in food for everybody and those ships are going to be transporting things because the world's going to be in a crisis mode and so there are going to be a lot of ships moving from place to place, a third of them gone. Just like that. I don't know exactly what God's going to do to make it happen, but I know from studying prophecies that have already taken place that God's not, never failed. He has never failed on a single prophecy, so I believe this is going to happen. Sounds major. I know. But I believe it's going to happen. This would have a huge impact on our global economy. Let's take a look at the third trumpet. That's just two. Look at verses 10 and 11. I read this. Then the third angel sounded... And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters become Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Again, this could sound like a meteor, right? When you, when you look at a great star burning like a torch as it's falling towards the earth. Um, if, it's, if it's literally being thrown towards the earth very well could be, but that something else is being struck. This time it's a third of the rivers and the springs, so the fresh waters are struck. So our food is gone, is, is decreased in the first trumpet. We go, to the, we go to the seas, and now even that's decreased. And the, and the one thing that you, you, you could hopefully count on is having some fresh water, and all of a sudden fresh water gets struck as well. It's interesting here that we have a star that's named, it's called Wormwood, which is a, it's a, the name of a bitter plant. And on the scale of toxicity, it's considered somewhere between, 
between noxious and poisonous. It might not kill everyone who drinks it, but it certainly would kill many who didn't drink it. Can you imagine what it's like to not even have access to fresh water? We've had a little bit of a crisis like that in Michigan in Flint, right? And I'm not trying to belittle what's going on in Flint. That's nothing compared to what we're reading about right now. And a third of all the sources of water on the planet contaminated. And I feel for the people in Flint, and if, I, I do. And, and I've heard about things going on even closer with PFAS, right? Anyone here wants to keep up with some of that? No, just two of us, right? So the rest of you, you have no idea what you're drinking, right? So, uh, right, there's, I mean, stuff, but you find at a global scale. See, what happens when they don't have water in, in Flint? You can work to pump it in from somewhere else, or people can bring bottled water in, and we can come together and help. What happens when the problem is global? Everybody has a shortage of water. This is, it's, it's, it's difficult. What are the results that we find here? A couple of things it mentions. It mentions that a third of the rivers and a third of the springs, we, these are the sources of fresh water. And so we go to the seas for food, but we, we, uh, we, we go to fresh water for something to drink. Does this sound bad to you guys? By the way, aren't you glad that this is the seventh seal? That if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we don't have to be here for this part? Regardless if you're mid-trib, pre-trib, pre-wrap, we don't have to be here for this part. And let's look at the fourth one. Verse 12. We read this. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. What's being struck here? The heavens are struck. By the heavens, I'm talking about the, the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, they're struck. In what way? I don't, I don't understand exactly. Uh, but God's wrath is going to be revealed in the fact that, that uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, they're all going to lose something, about a third of their power. And so when we read about these specifically, the sun is going to lose uh, a third of its powerful, possibly creating an Arctic-like temperature globally. Now, Michigan can sometimes have Arctic-like temperatures, right? Let's be honest. Which is why we have so many people that live in Florida for two or three months out of the year, and then they come back. Now, imagine, though, if there is no place to run to. In fact, we do it sometimes just for vacation, right? It's sometime within the next month or so, we're going to go to warmer places for a week or so, right? Just to, just to get away from Michigan. No offense, right? I'm a Michigander, heart and soul, but, um, but imagine a planet where the sun is only giving us a third of its power. We also read about a third of the, of the moon lose a third of its power. 
You say, well, what does the moon do? The, the moon does quite a bit for us. One, it, create, it creates tides, which are essential for multiple links in the food chain, right? It, uh, it's for survival. Um, the, the moon also acts as a magnet and creates the orbit, so that you, that's why you see so many craters on the moon that you don't see as many on the Earth because most of, the, uh, most of the, them get caught up in the, the orbit of the moon and end up hitting the moon. It's our shield of protection, and yet it'll be gone. At least least decreased in power by a third. When you think of what the, the, what the moon does, it, it's essential for us. It also, we read about a, a third of the stars, are, and, which are used for navigation. They're used uh, for all sorts of things, determining calendars, and, and yet the entire sky somehow is only going to give us about two-thirds of what it normally does. And when you think about all that the sun does, we typically think of the obvious things, like the sun warms us, right? Then we think about that. Um, uh, but the sun gives us light. We think about that too, right? Without the sun, we wouldn't have light. But it provides vitamin D, without which our bodies wouldn't function. Or we get, and we get depressed, which is why when you live in a place where, where you don't see the sun for long periods of time, you'll see suicide rates go up. In Costa Rica, during the rainy season, the suicide rates would go high. Why? There's less power from the sun. These are real effects. And we're going to lose these things. And, and, and we have all of the, the land is struck. The seas are struck. Fresh waters are struck. The heavens are struck. All of these things. And these things are gifts, aren't they? And I think... We, uh, if we stop and think about it, you know, these things are gifts, and, and God's taking, taking them back in the end. How do we apply this? When you think about that, it, you know, it's, it's so, one thing just to study these things, and you, and you look at these, and, and you say, wow, this is bad. This is horrible stuff. But how do you apply this? Back in, the, in chapter 1 of Revelation, it says, blessed is the man who hears these things, ponders them in his heart, and applies them. How do we apply this? I think we have to stop and think of the big picture for a moment here. And let's think of the, the big picture from, from all, of, all of mankind for a moment here and start at the beginning. Remember back in the beginning, all the way back in the book of Genesis, we have God creating all of the things that are just mentioned, right? We have God creating all of those things. And, and do you remember the order of his creation? What, was, what did God create on day one? Do you remember Light, exactly. God created uh, light on day one. Remember what he created on day two? He separated, he separated something out. Uh, do you remember what it was? Yeah, so he separated the waters out away from, from the air. And so you had, um, you had the, the waters separated from, from the air. Then you had day three, he pulls land out of the waters and, and creates these, these three different realms. This is the order of God's creation, Right? And in fact, uh, um, in days four, five, and six, he follows that same order. I, I call it round two of creation, because you'll remember in Genesis 1, the, the very first thing we learn about creation is that it was unformed and unfilled. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void, empty, unfilled. So he spends three days forming, three days fill, filling, and he does it in the same order. So on day four, he fills the heavens with lights. Day two, he fills the water uh, uh, with birds or with fish, and he fills the air with birds. And in day uh, six, he fills the land with land animals. And so he continues that same process. And so we've got this 
order of creation. And what we find, that's Genesis. Now we come all the way to the book of Revelation. And what we find is God is dismantling all of that. And he does it in reverse order. Does that make sense? So he's, we've got all of these gifts back in Genesis. And God says, all right, I'm going to start pulling some of those things back. And he does it in reverse order. Why? Because trumpet number one, the land is struck. Trumpet number two and three, the waters are struck. And trumpet number four, the heavens are struck. Does that make sense? And you find that, that in fact, this is part of the, uh, the, the parallel nature between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we see the very things at the beginning, and they, they show back up at the end. That's why in the book of Revelation, you always hear the descriptions of Jesus. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, trying to bring our minds to remember that the same guy that we're talking about here in the end is the one who did all of that stuff back at the beginning. Does that make sense? And so we've got uh, this bigger picture understanding, and, and we look at the chronology of, of the relationship between God and man, and we, we, we have to understand something. We, in Genesis... It begins with blessing. God's blessing us. He gives us gifts like the earth. He gives us the, the seas. He gives us the sun. He gives us the moon and the stars. And he creates this world and where we can actually live and, and sustain ourselves. He gives us life. He breathes into our nostrils the breath of life. And we become living souls. He gives us the ability to procreate. He gave, he gave us two genders and made them attractive to each other. So that if we follow his plan and we're selfless about it, these people will bind together in marriage, have children, then who are raised in a home where they have committed parents to each other, and they can procreate and create more life. Did God knocked it out of the park with this, didn't he? He gives us all of these gifts, all of these blessings, and he's done all of these things for us. We couldn't even exist without him. The Bible says that if God were to let go of us, we would immediately be consumed in Psalms. Every atom in your body is going around that nucleus because God is making it do that. Blessing. And then what we find between there and the book of Revelation, in one word, it's ungratefulness. Isn't it? We forget God. We create idols, start worshiping the things of our own hands, or we say there's no God at all. Isn't that the history of mankind? Yeah. When you stop and think about it, we do two things. We deny the giver, and we abuse the gifts. I'm not trying to be a downer here, but that's mankind. If I'm honest, without the, the grace of Jesus Christ, that's me too. We deny the giver, whether it's through idolatry or through atheism, it's the same thing. We're denying the giver, and we abuse the gifts. So now we come to the book of Revelation, and it's all about God's wrath. God's saying, I'm going to take my gifts back. Well, a third of my gifts I'm going to take back. Why? So we learn to appreciate the giver. Uh, let, let's think about this in a, in a scenario here for a moment. Assume that whatever job you do right now, whatever your, your role is in, in society, financially speaking, 
let's say there was an economic downturn and right now in your field, you just, you couldn't make ends meet, right? And some of you are saying, I thought this was supposed to be a made up scenario. That's me right now, right? You might be thinking that. But if, 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 if you can just put yourself in, that, in those shoes for, for a moment, you're, you're looking at your budget, you're doing the math, and you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to survive this next year. I don't, there's just not enough money to come in to pay for all the things that I need to pay for. Now imagine if I came to you and I told you, in the midst of this, and you're, you're just thinking about this problem, and I came to you and I said, hey, I, I know a guy in the, in the uh, church who, had, who wanted to give you a gift, and he's going to give you a gift of $1,000. How would you feel? Okay, I see. How many would you would feel appreciative, grateful, right? Right. You would feel you would feel grateful. That's natural. That's normal. And you should feel you should feel grateful. But now let's let's think this the scenario through just a little bit further. Um, what happens if the next week you come to church and I come back up to you and say, Hey, um, just wanted to let you know that donor wanted to give you another thousand dollars. Now, how would you feel? How many would you feel even more grateful? Yeah, right? Because that's a bigger help, right? That's a bigger, bigger shot. Now let's go fast forward another week. And I come to you, hey, that donor wanted to give you another $1,000. How, how would you feel? First of all, I think this would improve church attendance greatly. <laughs> would it not? And uh, so, no, I'm not promising to give $1,000 to anyone who attends church. But let's fast forward a few months. And let's say every week you came, you, you received $1,000, right? How appreciative would you be that, you know, 20th week? Would you be just as appreciative as the first week or the second week? Or would you come up to me one day and say, hey, Pastor Dave, uh, I'm going on vacation. Um, can you make sure my check gets sent to me? <laughs> right? That's what can happen. You get to that point, and, and, and what happens is you start to deny the, the giver. Now, take it even a step further. Imagine if you came to the point where you said, you know, I don't think that there actually is a donor. I think this is just the way it is. You go to church, you get a thousand bucks. Right? So you go to church, you get a thousand bucks, and then you abuse the gifts by saying, okay, let's do the math here. thousand dollars a week times 52 weeks. That's an extra $52,000 I can put to my annual budget. And for some, that's like well over double, right, for some. So you say, wow, okay, now, if that's my new budget, I can afford a nicer car, right? I can afford, uh, you know, to, to, to get a, a, maybe a nicer house, right? To upgrade my cable package or whatever it is, and, you know, and, and then not deny, not deny myself when I don't feel like going out to eat or... We're denying myself from those little powdered donuts from Sam's Club when I go there, right? The, the big things. But those little things, they add up, right? And, and you start to create a new budget, and you're living at your means, right? At your new means, and you're living at a, a, at a higher means. And then you show up one Sunday, and I say to you, Hey, I got good news for you. There's a man in the church who wants to donate $666.67. or $666.67 this week to you. He wants to give it to you. I say, wait a minute, that's two-thirds of what he's always been giving me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's only two-thirds. And you say, but that's $333.33 less. And then I come to you the next week. Hey, good news. Man wants to give you 
then what happens to your mind? You say, wait a minute. I'm short $333 per week. That's around what, $1,300 a month. I'm not going to be able to make budget. So all of a sudden, how do you feel towards that donor? Not thankful. Angry. Upset. Do you see the problem with that? I know it's a, it's a big illustration, but this is how fickle mankind is. When we zoom out and look from Genesis to Revelation, this is what we find in mankind. And if we're honest, I think we'd see ourselves on that scale somewhere. Right? Because I don't show appreciation all the time for all the things that God's doing in my life. And I take things for granted. That's wrong. Am I the only one? Or would we have some people in here that would agree with that? This is mankind. Every gift that God gives us, we tend to deny the giver and abuse the gifts. When you take even some of the others that we, we read about in, in the book of Genesis, uh, even, even the idea right now of genders, the fact that God created genders to be different with the need of each other, attractive to each other, and, and, and at an emotional level, at a physical level, at a, at, in, in, a, in a sense of, of the way that they're, they're, we're meant to complement each other, that's a beautiful thing. And now people say, well, we're going to deny the giver of that gift, and we're going to abuse the gifts. Isn't that a problem? Take life. Man breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. That's beautiful. He gave the ability to procreate, to have a, a baby that's made in the image of God. That, that's one thing that blows my mind about anything. It's just the, the, the ability to look at a baby and say, this is made in the image of I have a little, a little image bearer in my hands. It's a beautiful thing. I got to watch all three of my kids being born and you can't beat that experience, right? But now, the value of a baby's life, well, if it's a financial burden going to cause stress, you can take that baby's life. Right? You can. In our country, you can do that now. You can choose not to. Even after the baby is born now in our country, you can do that. It's, there, there will come a day when God will dismantle his gifts of creation. He's going to dismantle them. And, and that's the process that we see beginning. Only 33% of it, but at the beginning in the first four trumpets of Revelation. When we think about applications, remember what it said in, in Revelation 1 that, uh, that we need to... to to think about these things, we need to let it affect our hearts, and we need to change the way we act because of these things. So our head, heart, hands, um, there's, a, there's an application for each of those. Number one for, for the head, understand that God is just to pour out his wrath on mankind. We need to understand that God is just to do all of these things. In fact, people put God in the, in the hot seat all the time. When they, where was God when this happened? Have you ever heard that? Where was God on 9-11? Where was God when this happened? Where was God when this person had to go through this trial? Where was and, and, and they're asking all of these questions and about where was he. And, but understand that if God were just with all of us, we wouldn't be here right now. God is just to pour out his wrath on mankind. It used to be that 
that as Americans, we're going to feel like, yeah, this is so true of so much of the world, but as Americans, we had this little, bit, little sense of uh, moral superiority, right? I think we've lost that. I don't think we can point to other countries and say, oh, they're so bad because their, their governments are corrupt. Our government's corrupt too, right? Got a lot of corruption. We, 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 we fight for freedom? No, we don't. We'll vote our freedoms away if we can get free stuff, right? Life itself isn't valued anymore. I'll tell you, we don't live in a Christian country anymore. And I don't say that to get you down. I'm not saying that to be political by any means. Because it's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. Right. Right. And that's what I'm talking about. Uh, is that there's a spiritual problem that's going on in our country. And understand that God is just to pour out his wrath on mankind. Flip side of that. This should help us understand the grace of God that we just sang about this morning. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved what? wretch like me. Until we understand the gravity of our offenses against God, we'll never understand His grace. And the fact that God gave His grace to us in the form of sending His Son to die on the cross for us, that should have a serious impact on our hearts. Amen? Amen? Say it again. Amen? It should. It should have a, a, a serious impact on our hearts. Second thing I would say, as far as the heart goes, be a grateful worshiper now. Be a grateful worshiper now. Uh, How do you do that? I mean, what does that mean? Get to know them if you don't already, for one. You'll notice in the illustration that I used about the, the, the donor in the church, you know what the person never did? The person never said, well, who is that donor? I would like to go thank him for that. Just take the money week after week, right? And, 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 but here, we have an opportunity to get to know our donor. Get to know the one who's giving us all of these, these gifts. And, and get to know him. Show appreciation. You know what that's called? The theological term when we show appreciation to the one who's donated all these things to us? There's a theological term for that. It's called worship. Right? Worship. I'm not talking about singing. I'm talking about using singing as worship. I'm not talking about giving. I'm talking about using giving as worship. Uh, I'm, I'm not just talking about obedience to, to things. Obey so you do it as an act of worship. Do it because of your relationship with God and live a life that's pleasing to Him and grow in your relationship with Him. And you know what? From the beginning, this is all that God's ever wanted from us. That's all He's ever wanted from us is to have a relationship with Him where He is the blesser and we're the grateful ones who worship him because of all of his blessings. I remember when, when Israel was arguing with God and they're saying, no, it's, it's a heavy burden to, to, to be a follower of Yahweh. It's a heavy burden, they, they claimed. And, and so, so there's this little court case that happens in, in uh, the book of Micah. And in the end, the final conclusion, uh, God says this, he has shown you a man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God wants from us. He's not, it's not like God's asking us to, to do all of these ritualistic things. And No, God wants us to love him and walk humbly with him. And if we love him, then that's going to affect the way we treat other people. We're going to treat other people justly. And when they make mistakes, we're going to treat them with mercy. 
right? Because if you love him, you're going to love those he loves. If you love me, then you love my kids and my wife. If you were to come to me and say, oh, Pastor Dave, I love you, but I can't stand your family, then you don't love me. You're not my friend in that case. That's all this is saying. Love God, and that's going to affect the way you love others. You're going to treat them with mercy. You're going to treat them justly. And, and, and love them. Be a grateful worshiper now. There might be some in here today who would have to say, I don't really know my, my creator. It would be in the analogy, it would be like someone who has enjoyed the gifts of the donor but has never actually gone back to thank the person who was doing the donating. And, and if you would like to get to know your Lord and Savior, don't leave today without making that right. You can come to me. In a few minutes, I'll give you an opportunity. You can come to me. Or you can go to the back and you have some men or women who will show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with God. That might be the step that you need to take today. For, for others, there might be some here who would say, you know what, Pastor Dave, I know for sure. I've made that decision. But I've kind of lost that gratefulness. And there's a sense in which that wrath, even though I won't experience it because of the grace of, of God and grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, I deserve it. And I need an attitude adjustment. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. Just pray between you and God, and no one will interrupt you. It's just have that conversation with God. The third and final application that we have here is, is, is this. It's very simple in context. Don't follow the crowd because this is how they end up. Don't follow the crowd. The world is going to continue to go, and they're going to deny the giver, and they're going to abuse the gifts. And that becomes the norm. Don't follow the crowd. You know, don't follow the crowd. They are in a, in a stream that is headed for a waterfall. And if you just let the current take you, if you are born into this world and you follow the culture where it takes you, you end up at that waterfall. That's what's, take, what's taking place here, is the world is headed for disaster. Where God dismantles the gifts that he's given to us. In fact, what we find is it's going to get even worse. I want to read just the last verse of chapter 8. It says, And I looked, and I heard an angel. We'll talk about who that angel is next week. I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Did the first trumpet seem bad to you today? Now we have an angel saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The next three, this is bad. This is where the world is going. This is where the world is, is going to end up. This is where, where it's going. And we can avoid that by making right our relationship with God right here, right now. For some of you, it's getting to know him. For others, it's confessing some sin. For others, it's just coming up here so you can express appreciation to God for something. Uh, for others, it might be just recognizing simply the things and start to, start to look around you and appreciate the things that God has given to you that we take for granted all the time. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God right now, but I would encourage you to take one step forward in that relationship with God. And in just a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in any of those ways, however the Holy Spirit is leading in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you 
that in the midst of all of this wrath, we still see your mercy. We still see that you are a God who loves us. And we, we, see, we understand at a deeper level your grace, your mercy towards us. We appreciate so much that you sent Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, if I was honest, I'd have to say I deserve all of those things that we were reading about in the four trumpets today. But because of Jesus Christ, we can bask in your, your mercy. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here today that doesn't know you, today would be that day. That they would be introduced to the giver of life to you. Lord, I pray to you for all of those who know you that you would give us a little course correction in our hearts today. Help us appreciate you for who you are, for what you've given, and what you give to us every day that we take for granted.